3: Who isn't a little worried about their self-confidence? Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz at the bottom of the hour and about 45 after, I should say. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West from Texas will be telling us about the border situation and the governor's race. Is Beto O'Rourke, is this going to be a third time the charm? You know, he was a congressman, ran for Senate, got close to Ted Cruz. Uh, then ran for president, was an absolute disaster, and now he's running for governor, and I don't see any of his issues resonating. He's distancing himself from his own party, pretending as if he's pro-gun. I just love, if you are, have issues that really would make up your core being and why you're in for office, why change him in order to win or try to win? And I'm talking about Tim Ryan. I'm talking about John Fetter. I'm talking about B- uh, Bader O'Rourke. We'll talk about that with the lieutenant colonel in about 12 minutes. And, of course, today is the day the President Freedom Fighter comes out on paperback. The bestseller for 10 weeks is now out on paperback, makes it cheaper, and it has more information. Go figure. And I figure the the news that, uh, that wraps both men together, taking Abraham Lincoln's name off a of grammar school, trying to take down his statue, and ripping Frederick Douglass' statue out of the ground. Talks about revisionist history. And we got to win the war in history, and that's what this book's about, The President and Freedom Fighter. Let's go to com. Also, uh, I'm going to be uh, having a tour, so just click on tour, hopefully I'll be in your city. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know It's Brian's Big Three Sponsored by Crunch Fitness Interested in owning your own business In a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com Number three
1: While we're trying to deal with the challenges As you all know you have Republican governors Who are using these migrants Using these folks who are trying to flee uh, Communism They're using them as a
3: political pawn We'll see uh, That is Corrine Jean-Pierre uh, talking about doubling down and we're talking about illegal immigration and the migrants who are being bussed across the country. So why should the border states pay the price? Governor Ducey, speaking of border states, was told to take down his makeshift shipping containers, border wall, by the Biden bunch. Instead, he extends it. The American people are behind him, but will the federal government prove they are, open, are for open borders by shipping it out? And but don't mention the drugs they are blitzing. Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and California.
2: Number
4: two.
0: The uh, no-cash bail has created a real problem. Judges don't have the ability to make a determination on an individual's dangerousness. So
5: that is a big problem.
3: That is Ray Kelly, who knows everything about fighting crime, uh, the police commissioner. Crime is on the mind of Americans of all parties. And will Dems begin to pivot from abortion and January 6th before it's too late? We're going to look at the tasks ahead of them as they try to take back the streets or pretend they want to and get DAs to keep criminals locked up. Number one.
6: Ron, you talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand. You think you're going to be running against him. I can see how you might get confused. But you're running for governor. The only worn out old donkey I'm looking to put out the pasture is Charlie Triss.
3: Yeah, there you go. Governor DeSantis loaded for bear. Three debates tonight and the showdown in Florida last night. We will preview and review the stakes uh, in New York as well in Pennsylvania and their governor and Senate races and get the latest look at the two close-to-call races around the country. So let's talk about that, because last night there was a debate. We know that Ron DeSantis is going to win Florida, but by how much? Remember, Governor Christie had a lot of momentum after winning in a blue state. Ron DeSantis will win in a what is now increasingly a red state, so on purple state. But he looks so good. He has earned. He had a one or a half a point win that needed extended time to decide who actually won against the other uh, uh, star-crossed candidate. This time he ends up with a 10-point lead on pure performance, whether it's the way he's responded to the Fort Myers uh, disaster after Hurricane Ian or whether it's he kept the country, the state open when the rest of the country, most of the country was shut down, including schools during the pandemic, and the way he's pushed back against corporate America who try to be politically correct. He wouldn't have it. Just ask Disney how effective he can be. So DeSantis and Chris went at it last night. Here's a little of their exchange Uh, For example, when you talked about uh, when you talked about how Governor Christie took the illegal immigrants and put them in Martha's Vineyard, cut 10.
6: I thought what the governor did was a horrible political stunt. Um, You know, we have an immigration problem. We have a problem at the border. We need to secure the border. I agree with all of that. But it doesn't mean that you use Florida taxpayers' dollars to charter two jets, go to Texas, lie to people to get them onto planes, fly them up to the northern part of our
3: country, and and one of them's a one-year-old baby. Because you was with the family, and they were put in a beautiful plane and dropped into a beautiful section of the country, as opposed to some place like El Paso, which is can't rub two nickels together because they've been so overwhelmed by all this border traffic, so to speak. So, yeah, kids Came across the border. He didn't go into El Salvador or India and say, please come to America. I'd like to ship you to Martha's Vineyard. That's Governor Chris, a former Republican and former decent governor of Florida who replaced Jeb Bush. Had a chance to meet him during one of the tornadoes that got through there. Who knew he was going to flip parties twice and then end up way on the left and do anything to stay, in, uh, to stay in power and be relevant. He's there to buddy up DeSantis, no doubt about it. What I find astounding And we can go over that a little. I'll give you, just to balance it out, I'll give you an idea of what Governor DeSantis feels uh, and how he did last night uh, when it comes to trafficking and when it comes to the drugs that come across our border. Cut 12. And then I
6: signed legislation raising the penalties for people who are trafficking fentanyl and fentanyl analogs. If you're trafficking that garbage, that poison, you are killing people in our state, and we are going to treat you like the murderer that you are.
3: And the crowd roared, and why wouldn't you? Because the administration doesn't even bring up fentanyl. They never bring up the drug problem. And they're idiots. Not only is it irresponsible, but suburban America is the one that's hit the hardest. And you're showing that you're not even engaged. I got some staggering numbers, too. I'll share with that a little bit later. But also tonight, the Michigan debate's happening for the gubernatorial sl- slot. Uh, we know uh, how Gretchen Whitmer, what a miserable disaster she is, even though vi- vice, president Bi- vice President Biden wanted her to be vice president. Uh, she said, no, it's there's too much pressure. There's people of color that you've already committed to doing. You can go ahead and go with uh, Kamala Harris. And that's worked out well. But now she's getting a real, uh, real run for money by Tudor Dixon. And they just have differing views on running the state. She wants to get it under the Line 5 pipeline that comes in from Canada. You realize what that would do for energy costs around the country, the way they lock down? That state irresponsibly the way her husband was out there on his boat and the rest of the state is locked down and she's throwing her name around to get him some access that he doesn't deserve. So meanwhile, also tonight... Uh, Lee Zeldin going to be at Pace University at 7 o'clock Eastern time going against Governor Hochul in a race that's now too close to call. It's a virtual toss up. And I know Governor Hochul realizes it because now she's talking about crime, even though she's tweeting about abortion and all she does is collect money. I don't even know if she spends it because she thought she in a Democratic state would just waltz to a victory. But listen to her now pretend to care about crime. Cut 15. I'm
7: not letting the political theater out there, affect what we've done. But when you have
1: some very high-profile, frightening cases all in a short time, despite the statistics that tell you it averages out, I understand fear. We're not saying we're done. We're saying we're laser-focused on this.
3: And by the way, I have a link on my Twitter feed uh, from Spectrum that I got from the Zeldin camp on how to watch if you're not in this small area. Think about Governor Hochul, how scared she is, because she's going to Spectrum Media in order to do a one hour debate to keep her job that she didn't earn. She was assigned and instead of opening up to the entire state, doing it on a, a network or a W.A.B.C. or a Fox that would broadcast and have affiliates to ripple through New York. She wants to do it quick, get it done, one and done in Pace University up in Westchester and just to people with a small cable outlet. If that doesn't uh, reek of fear, I don't know what is. And what she's saying is the stats say that comedy crimes down, but you think it's up. So I'll just go along with you, you mental patient. I'm not buying that. I'm insulted by that. And we've seen other people uh, and we've seen some of these criminal acts that show this is a major problem. Governor Zeldin was on, excuse me, Congressman Zeldin was on with uh, Brett Bear last night discussing this. But I want to pivot quickly to Pennsylvania. And in Pennsylvania, I've never seen anything quite like it. You have Fetterman, who's the lieutenant governor, had a 14 point lead at one point. Memonaz has knocked it down to within the margin of error. Why? On um, pure politics. And also, he has outworking everyone. Number two is he's got the rest of the Republican Party to fall into place. He's not forcing them to, they realize he's a good candidate. Dave McCormick was a good candidate. Kathy Barnett had her pluses. They all got 30-plus percent. Dr. Oz got more. I think Dave McCormick will try for the other seat, in and in I think it's up next year or the year after, but now it's time to consolidate if you're a Republican around Mehmet Oz because he is the guy that is quite talented. He is the guy that is a very successful syndicated host, and he's taken on somebody who evidently was a good communicator before he had a stroke. I wish he never had a stroke. But he did, and he can't communicate, and he can't campaign, he can't do interviews. Now he needs closed captioned in order to hear. It's going to be a sideshow in order to understand. I know his hearing's there, but he can't understand the process unless he reads it. So when Dr. Oz says something, he's got to read it. There's going to be long hesitations and bouts of silence, and it's only going to be an hour. It's going to be about five questions each. I'm not kidding. So uh, uh, Dr. Oz was on last night with, with Tucker. And he talked about Philadelphia. He's going to—and I was talking to Selena Zito, who's been covering Pennsylvania politics for the last 15 years. And she says she's been with Dr. Oz, small cadre of press with Dr. Oz. And he's going to a lot of African-American neighborhoods to find out what's going on, spending a lot of time in Pennsylvania. Cut 19.
0: I've been in Philadelphia a lot during this campaign. I, I live in, uh, in Philly. I went to school in West Philly. And you actually talked to the people there. What they say is they don't want to be part of a white woke experiment, a social exactly. experiment where they're left with the consequences. And Fetterman, to your point, said that if he had a magic wand to do anything he wanted to, his goal would be to release murderers from life in prison. Now, Tucker, can you imagine having a magic wand to do anything you want? I mean, you could take care of inflation, although you don't need a magic wand for that. But there's lots of things you could do. But releasing murderers from life in prison without asking uh, the families what they think and oftentimes voting against the other members of the parole board, even other Democrats, is not aligned with the values of Pennsylvanians. Yet that's the position he has taken.
3: And now his camp is lowering expectations in a way I've never seen before. Uh, I'd say Dr. Oz has been a professional TV personality for the last two decades. We'll admit this isn't John's format. Look no further than the debate from the primaries earlier this year. John is ready to share his vision for Pennsylvania, defend his record, and make the case against Oz. He's going to be talking about real ideas for people. But if we're alongside being honest, Oz clearly comes into Tuesday night with a huge advantage. Nice try. Uh, if he can't, The problem is not that Dr. Oz is better. Is that I don't think Fetterman can do the job. I wish he never had a stroke, but the fact he did this is a job interview. you got to give it to the best person, which I think has more values from fracking to anti-crime than most people in Pennsylvania. But educate me. We've got huge affiliates in Pennsylvania. I want to hear from you. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, Alan West joins us, brings us Inside Texas.
2: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: No, the border is not secure. When you have 1.7 million individuals last year and then another 2.7, that's over 4.5 million individuals encounter at the border. Plus, the if you add the getaways, that's going to be over 5 million individuals in just two years. No, the border is secure. It's not secured, and we got to make sure that we have repercussions.
3: And that is Henry Cuellar, a Democrat that makes sense. I've always liked the guy. I don't know what Lieutenant Colonel Allen West thinks. Uh, he's all over Texas, ran the Texas Republican Party. Uh, Colonel, welcome back.
4: It's good to be with you, Brian. How are you doing?
3: Good, good. Now with uh, the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. What do you think of Cuellar?
4: Well, you know, I served with Henry Cuellar, and he's the uh, last of a dying breed. It's the blue dog conservative Democrat up there in uh, Washington, D.C., because there were quite a few that were there when I was serving in Congress, and most of them got, uh, you know, primaried and are gone. But I think that when Henry Cuellar says, you know, the truth, like he just stated there about the border, but then he says that, you know, when I get back up there and get reelected, I'll be voting for Nancy Pelosi for Speaker, he's trying to straddle that fence, and, and I don't think that's going to be very effective. So he's trying to say the things that are necessary to to make him viable and keep him ele- elected down there in South Texas, because you're going to see an incredible uh, shift in South Texas. Maya Flores is going to win, uh, Monica De la Cruz Hernandez is going to win. Uh, the uh, one other race down there in South Texas is going to go to a Hispanic female. And so he's trying to make sure that he stays uh, viable in those races. But uh, I, I think that you know what's best for him. He should just go ahead and switch to the Republican Party. He doesn't have a future in the Democrat Party. I think
3: he's pro-life too, uh, and they don't want to be with pro-life. him. Yeah, so it's no, pretty. They,
4: no, they don't.
3: Yeah, and they keep trying to primary him. They, they try to do it with a squad member, it didn't work. And the weird thing is, if he had lost, the Republicans would have just grabbed that seat. There's no doubt about it. So a couple other things when you come at the border. Governor Ducey now in the eye of the storm willingly. He, I did not know this. He put shipping containers to replace where the fence belonged. They stopped building it. And now the federal government mm-hmm. is telling him it's illegal. You're trespassing. Get rid of the shipping containers. So he added more. How's this going to end up?
4: No, I have to uh, praise Governor Ducey for doing that, because when you have a federal government that has abdicated their constitutional responsibility to protect our sovereignty and protect the sovereignty of the state of Arizona, the Constitution gives him, as the governor, the right to be able to rectify and resolve that situation. But how interesting it is, Brian, that we have a federal government that is really advocating for open borders. I mean, they no really question. want to no see question. No question. Yeah, it, there is no question to that. And then they're asking themselves, why are we uh, losing? Why why are we losing in Arizona? Why can't we get any traction in Texas or anywhere else? Because they're on the wrong side of every one of these issues. Look at the fentanyl crisis. This. If you want to really talk about chemical warfare, that's what fentanyl is. It comes from China. It's manufactured and refined by the cartels. It's brought across the border. And over 100,000 Americans have lost their lives since the Biden administration came into power because of fentanyl. And then you got the human and sex trafficking on top of that. And the Biden administration still wants to have the border open.
3: Uh, let's talk about the governor's race, Beto O'Rourke against Governor Abbott. I know you ran against Abbott. Uh, You thought there was some vulnerabilities there. I I can't see how Texas would entertain Beto O'Rourke, but he's changed so many stances. Are the people of Texas confused about who he really is?
4: No, I don't think so. I think that what he is trying to do is to, you know, get people to to cast a vote against rather than vote for. And what's so funny, Brian, is uh, one of my son-in-laws got a text message from the O'Rourke campaign, and uh, he just simply responded, I'm not one of you stinking Democrats. So uh, Mm -hmm. they're trying to reach out there to many people, young people, and especially the the black community. As a matter of fact, O'Rourke was in one of the big mega churches here in the Dallas area. Uh, were pastored by T.D. Jakes, the Potter's House. And so they're going back to the same old playbook. Let's try to trick the blacks into, into voting for us. But when you look at the rise in crime here in the state of Texas, it severely affects those people in the major urban population centers in the black community.
3: Right. And people think when you crack down on crime, that's code. They used to say code for uh, crackdown on African-Americans. No, it's not. It's to protect everybody, no. especially minority communities.
4: You're absolutely right. And we just had an incident here in Dallas where we have one of those sores back uh, district attorneys. They actually let out a violent criminal who was a gang member to go, quote, unquote, visit his newborn baby in the hospital. And what did he end up doing? Somehow he got a gun, went into the hospital, and he beat his uh, the, the girl that gave birth to the baby and shot two nurses.
3: Thanks so much, Colonel Allen West. Appreciate it. Your call's next. Don't move.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: Secondly, if you don't have one of those loans, you just get ten thousand written off. It's passed. I got it passed by a vote or two, and it's
3: in effect. It didn't pass by a vote or two. Is an executive order to forgive student loans something you knew instinctively we should not do? You cannot. You paused the loans during the pandemic. Fine. You paused rent during the pandemic. Understood. Didn't for landlords, caused a lot of pain for landlords, but you did it. Now you say I'm going to forgive student loans in order to get the young people to go out and vote and maintain it, retain it. Got it? So now you say you passed by a couple of votes. How can you be that confused? I mean, this guy's having problems. And and I, I've pointed out before, and what Joe Biden has said, I've always been a gaff machine. But I always mean well, and people understand it, and he's been self-deprecating about it. But he fell asleep in the middle of an MSNBC question while answering it. In the middle of the day. Now, I'm somebody who exists on three and a half hours sleep. Sometimes you're doing stuff and you kind of nod off for a second, and especially when I hop on the train at night. But if I'm President of the United States, I'm getting my eight out. I mean, the guy does day doesn't start till 10 o'clock. He doesn't go out at night. So he's getting 12 hours of sleep if he wanted it on a regular basis. If he's nodding off in the middle of a question, a question in which he's answering, there's an issue. And he just I just let you hear one of his gaffes. Here's another one of his gaffes. Here's the President of the United States. Referring to Vice President Harris and her birthday, cut six. But a few days ago, it was
4: also Kamala's birthday. (laughs) She turned thirty.
8: Happy birthday, great president. Uh, We know uh, your mom's always with you. Yes. All the time.
3: How many times he done that? I mean, please. I mean, this has got to be at least five times that I can remember calling her president. I mean, I could see the other way around. People calling Vice President Biden and saying, oh, I forgot you were president. But she she doesn't even look like a vice president, doesn't act like a vice president. How why are you making the mistake in putting somebody in your job prematurely? The best security that the president has for his job from his own party is Kamala Harris, because everybody knows in the country feels that she's totally incompetent, way in over her head. Someone's going to run her. Although no one doubts, no one doubts that she she is, uh, she's not too old for the job. How about that? And she's not too young for the job. Her age is not a problem. Her background looks fine. But if you see her performance, it's absolutely awful. I want to get back, if I can, to the Pennsylvania Senate race because I'm astounded by this. I don't think it's harsh or cruel to say that the it's a, it's an audition. When you look at, Electing anyone for a big or small seat, powerful or not, or local. local, you have a job if you're local and you have a powerful position in Camino. It means a lot. God, it's service, understood. But if you can't do the job, you can't do the job. I mean, he had a stroke and he's not, not that he can't walk around. He's physically, he looks fine, but mentally he's not there. It means he can't do the job. So every time he goes to talk, he needs closed captions. He won't give up any interviews. When he, when he goes to a rally, they had a rally. He didn't talk. He didn't stand with the president, which is a decision. Not being able to talk is also a decision. Is his wife just going to be running things Woodrow Wilson stroke style? I mean, if you look at some of the quotes talking about uh, lowering expectations before the, uh, uh, before the big event, it's pretty astounding. So Fetterman against Oz tonight. A memo from Fetterman Campaign on the use of closed captioning. Here it is. This debate is unprecedented. There's never been a closed caption political debate in a high-profile Senate race where one of the candidates is dealing with a lingering auditory processing challenge while recovering from a stroke. We are prepared for Oz's allies and right-wing media to circulate malicious viral videos from the debate and try to paint John in a negative light because of awkward pauses, missing some words, and mushing together words together. The captioning process may also lead to time delays and errors in exchanges from the moderators and the candidates. In fact, there are captions going to be typed out by human beings in real time on live TV. Some amount of human error in the transcription is inevitable, which may cause temporary miscommunication at times. So they're letting everybody know, expect chaos, expect ridiculous, nonsensical answers. And when they come out and it's pointed out, say, I told you. Well, the problem is, if he's not thinking well and can't speak at all, how do you do the job? I could not do this job for one day if that was my handicap, if that was my recovery. And I'm telling you, even though I've supported management, they would say, Brian, you can't do it until you're back. So here's uh, until you can communicate effectively or however you were doing it before. So Fetterman goes in, he had a 14-point lead. There was a CNN poll, October 13th or 17th. Has Fetterman up six points? I can't see it. The real clear average has him up one. Pennsylvania, if the ele- Pennsylvanians were asked, if the election was for governor was held today, who would be most likely to be your pick? Now, this is for governor. Uh, Mastriano's got no shot. I've never seen him close, 56 to 41. Seems like a nice enough guy. He's got too much baggage and no uh, fundamental support. Certainly doesn't have any support. From the national platform, uh, when asked uh, when asked about his health, Clifford Chen of UPMC said, "Fetterman, uh, he's a doctor. Fetterman spoke intelligently without cognitive defects. He says his communication has significantly improved compared to his first visit, assisted by speech therapy, which he has attended on a regular basis since the stroke. Fetterman has talked um, has talked a lot about the stroke, partly in a way to connect with voters." Why? Because forty-seven percent of adults have some chronic condition and one of four Pennsylvanians have a disability. Yeah. But can you do the job? I mean, for example, if you're in a wheelchair or prosthetic legs, you'll have trouble being an effective waiter, just especially with a place with a big with a big floor. You just can't do it. Doesn't mean people are discriminated against you, you just won't be able to do it. It doesn't mean anything negative against you long term, you just can't do it. So that's one uh I'll be looking at tonight It'll almost be a sideshow. About, real quick, about, uh, about where our economy is right now and where this election is right now. It is all about the economy. It's all about inflation. Larry Kudlow is beside himself. I do his show once a week, and he just can't believe what he's looking right now. And he sees Biden blaming Trump for the deficit, saying he cut the deficit so much. He's been responsible. The MAGA agenda is still hurting this country. Larry Kudlow was part of it, designed it, said this yesterday, cut four.
11: What Joe Biden is doing is spooning out typical left-wing Democratic malarkey. He is incapable of telling the truth. It is a character flaw. And Americans are seeing right through it, which is why they have completely lost confidence in him and his failed policies. Meanwhile, his radical, progressive economics with inflationary spending, regulatory overkill, turning off the oil and gas spigots, rolling back the successful tax cuts, that's all taken an economy... That was booming at a 6.5% growth rate when he was inaugurated to one that has been contracting just 12 to 18 months later.
3: And that is it. And he keeps saying, I cut the deficit. And, And the best analogy, and I used it yesterday, was it's like saying Harry Truman is the best deficit cutter ever. Why? The World War II ended. You stopped spending on the war. Pandemic ended. You stopped. You told people to go back to work and then you took credit. When you say jobless claims are down because people were told to stay in the sideline, their job wasn't available. A lot of times it was held. But when you go back and reignite it, you get credit for it. If you're the president, the deficit cutting happened because the pandemic spending stopped, except for his rescue plan, ill-advised and really adding to inflation. All right. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And we come back with we'll a joined by Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, he's got a brand new book out. Plus, he scuffled with the view yesterday. How did it go? We'll find out back in a moment.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Inflation has one cause and one cause only.
9: (laughs) Inflation in the United States has one cause and one cause only. And that is when the federal government spends too much money. Okay. We have seen trillions and trillions of dollars spent by Joe Biden and the Democrats. We do, here, we do cover excuse
10: climate here, guys. We do cover climate. Excuse me,
7: ladies, ladies. Excuse us. Let us do our job. Let us do our job. We hear what you have to say, but you gotta go.
3: That was Whoopi Goldberg yelling at her own audience. They said the first time ever Senator Ted Cruz joins us now. His book is out today, Justice Corrupted, How the Left Weaponized Our Legal System. But before we get into a debate, and they all want to talk about January 6th like every Democrat, uh, Senator Ted Cruz had to deal with climate activists. Senator, what's going on?
9: Well, Brian, great to be with you. Thank you for having me. It, it was, you know, yesterday morning I was on The View, and it, it was a circus. We We had twice— uh, protesters interrupted the show, began screaming and yelling, and and had to be escorted uh, out of the room. And and it was, look, the the left right now is angry. We scream at each other, and 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 it's it's w- there's so much anger. But the reason I went on the view was simple, which is that I think as conservatives, we need to be talking and reaching a much wider audience. We need we need to be talking, not just preaching to the choir, which is important. But we need to also be talking to young people and Hispanics and African-Americans and suburban moms, the people really paying the, the, the price and feeling the pain from the disastrous policies from Washington. And, and the folks who watch The View, they receive every day a partisan, one-sided view of the world. And, and I wanted to go, go and describe my new book, Justice Corrupted, describe how Barack Obama and Joe Biden politicized and weaponized – the department of justice the fbi the irs and they're using the machinery of government to target their political enemies and that's dangerous and, and i think it was valuable for the folks watching that show to hear a perspective that that they never hear uh from the hosts of that show
3: so it's kind of interesting too because in your book you outline the different ways the government's been used to go against political opponents First and foremost, I think, it has been the IRS. Remember, the Tea Party yep. played a huge role in the shellacking of Barack Obama in the midterms, and he lost 63 seats uh, in the House. And he admitted it. He got crushed. And they said the Tea Party's the problem, so now let's use the IRS to investigate them. At the very least, as they investigate, you will sideline them. You will squash them. And they will not play a role in the general election.
9: Well, and unfortunately, on, under Obama, the IRS had real success targeting Tea Party groups, targeting conservative groups, targeting pro-Constitution groups, pro-life groups, pro-Israel groups, and, and, and bringing, you know, the book Justice Corrupted outlines how they just descended upon these activists, bringing multiple audits, bringing multiple investigations, trying to bankrupt them. And the objective was to silence them and prevent them uh, from from being effective in organizing voters on the other side, and and you know part of it, it Barack Obama, when it, when it became public that, that the IRS was directly targeting Tea Party groups, he did a press conference where he said, "quote I am angry, and the American people have a right to be angry," but then the administration proceeded to cover it up, proceeded to stonewall it. Uh, Lois Lerner, who was in charge of that that persecution. Uh, pleaded the Fifth, refused to testify, was held in contempt of Congress, and the Obama Department of Justice refused to prosecute her. So she was she wasn't fired. She never served a day in prison. She retired with full benefits. And and that hypocrisy, what we're seeing is as bad as it was under Obama. It's metastasized, and it is worse under Joe Biden. Under Merrick Garland, this Department of Justice. Look, we've seen the FBI. Uh, raiding the home of Donald Trump, something that's never happened in our nation's history. We're seeing FBI uh, agents raiding the homes of pro-life activists, arriving with machine guns drawn and arresting them in front of their screaming children. This is abusing power. We see the FBI and the Department of Justice targeting parents, targeting moms and dads who speak up at school boards because the Biden White House and the Biden DOJ views law enforcement as essentially the political stormtroopers of the DNC. And this book, Justice Corrupted, explains how they're doing this and explains how we fight back.
3: Uh, Yes. I'm wondering, too, why uh, Eric Holder does not go to jail, but Steve Bannon does. Didn't they both uh, get censured by Congress? Weren't they both subpoenaed and ignored the subpoena?
9: That that, that is absolutely right. And, and, And the book Justice Corrupted describes how Eric Holder Who was attorney general under barack obama uh was held in contempt of congress and he was held in contempt of congress over what was called the fast and furious program where the obama doj was selling guns illegally to mexican drug cartels and those guns in turn that that were sold by eric holder were used to murder federal agents and and it was it was absolutely scandalous it was indefensible Congress, which was held by Republicans, was holding hearings and trying to examine why is our own Department of Justice a gunrunner selling guns to dangerous Mexican drug cartels? Well, Holder didn't want that oversight because he was trying to cover his own ass, and so he stonewalled Congress, refused to testify, refused to give documents, and, and was held in contempt of Congress. But this is where, again, the Obama DOJ refused to prosecute Eric Holder. So you compare Steve Bannon has just been sentenced to four months in jail. That is an outrage. It is ridiculous. Eric Holder was never even prosecuted. Why? Because the Obama DOJ said we're not going to prosecute him. We agree with him. Same thing that happened to Lois Lerner. Exact same thing, and it is a two-tiered justice system. That, that that is is deliberately mm-hmm. corrupt. That's what they've done, and and I hear regularly from professionals at DOJ, from agents at the FBI, who've devoted their lives to law enforcement, that they're horrified at how wildly politicized mm-hmm. these these institutions have become.
3: Senator, if you found, instead of talking to Senator Ted Cruz, Senator, if you found out, like, say, William Barr uh, was prosecuting people for political gain, would you say something?
9: Absolutely, yes. And, and listen, I've, I've spent a decade in the Senate repeatedly calling out my own party. I'm not shy about that at all. Yesterday was when I was on The View, they came back and said, well, don't both sides do this? And, and I said, really, when? Give me one example. And they both – this is sort of lefty talking points. They said, well, Bill Barr, Bill Barr. And I said, really? Name someone that, that Barr went after that, that that was a political persecution. They had no answer because he didn't do that. Uh, under Donald Trump, the Department of Justice uh, was focused on enforcing the law, although that's not entirely right because what the book explains – so the book starts off with Richard Nixon, and Nixon tried to do this, tried to weaponize the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS to go after its political enemies. But when Nixon tried this, the system largely worked. Those agencies pushed back. They said, no, this is improper, and, and Nixon resigned in disgrace, and the first chapter of the book. I walk people through it, it. It's actually amazing. You know, I was a little kid when all this happened, right. but the, the level of corruption was stunning. What Nixon tried to do, Barack Obama succeeded in doing, which is using the machinery of government as a political weapon. And then when Obama left the White House and Trump came in, they burrowed hardcore partisans into the senior career positions at DOJ and the FBI and the other agencies. So I recount in the book a meeting on January 5th, 2017, uh, in the Oval Office with Barack Obama, Joe Biden, the head of the DOJ, the head of the FBI, the head of the CIA, where they deliberately decide we're going to go after the new incoming president, Donald Trump. We're going to turn the deep state, the machinery of government against him. And so I've got a a whole chapter detailing Operation Crossfire Hurricane, where where they went after in a wildly partisan, dishonest, and corrupt way. President Trump, and waged war on him from within his administration. And we witnessed it, yep. Uh, And now under Biden, it's metastasized and it is openly abusive.
3: 30 seconds left. Uh, Senator Cruz, uh, Donald Trump told me yesterday, uh, excuse me, on Thursday, that if any, Friday, excuse me, he says, if any of my guys that ran for president, run for president they've served in my cabinet or have been friends and allies of my youth, consider that disloyal. Would you consider it disloyal if you ran for president while Donald Trump's running?
9: <laughs> Look, I can tell you I'm in the middle of a 17-state national bus tour. I've been doing this for a month. I'm in North Carolina right now getting ready to do do a big rally with Ted Budd, who's going to win the Senate here. Okay. I've done rallies all over the country for Senate and House candidates. My focus is 2022.
3: Got it. We'll see what happens after that. Senator Ted Cruz.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world, Admiral James Javidus, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, standing by. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann with some stunning news about what's actually happening in Afghanistan Bin Laden's back. Yeah, one of his sons. So is ISIS. So is Al Qaeda. It is terror University. Uh, ISIS has moved their headquarters to Afghanistan from Syria, and it's only going to get worse from here. Uh, meanwhile, Varney and company. Will, well, Seward will have me on a simulcast shortly. Big news today. The president of Freedom Fighters now at our paperback now brand new epilogue. What I did in the epilogue is I wove in the news. Uh, With Frederick Douglass dedicating the name of Abraham Lincoln, they tried to take down. They took down Frederick Douglass' statue. Talk about this war on history and how it relates to two iconic figures in our past just because they were not perfect. It doesn't mean they should be abused. They should be respected and lauded, in my view. The President Freedom Fighter out now. So let's get to the big three. Now
2: with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. While we're trying to deal with the challenges, as you all know, you have Republican governors who are using these migrants, using these folks who are trying to flee uh, communism. They're using them as a political pawn.
3: Yeah, that is the press secretary doubling down. Governor Tassouzi. Goosey was told to take down his makeshift shifting containers there to block the illegal immigrants from blitzing his state. Uh, Instead, the administration says, take it down. He decides, I'm going to extend it. Meanwhile, the American people are behind him. But will the federal government prove they are actually for open borders by shipping it out? This is drugs pour in and many die in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and throughout the other 47 states. Number two.
0: The uh, no cash bail has created a real problem. Judges don't have the ability to make a determination on an individual's
5: dangerousness. so. That is a big problem.
3: Crime is a huge problem. uh, And on the mind of most Americans, especially those in cities, will Dems begin to pivot from abortion and Trump to that? We're going to look at the task ahead as three big debates take place tonight. Meanwhile,
6: number one, Ron, you talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand. You think you're going to be running against them? I can see how you might get confused, but you're running for governor. The only worn-out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Chris.
3: All right, there you go. Governors really showing great respect for each other, and that was DeSantis and former Governor Chris going at it. DeSantis is going to win that. The question is, will they find some chinks in his armor when he tries to go national, which I think he more than likely uh, will do. And by the way, there's other debates. Uh, Fetterman will go at it with Dr. Oz and— You have a situation where Tudor Dixon is going to be taking on Governor Whitmer. Three big debates. We'll discuss it all, as well as the one in New York, which is surprisingly close. In fact, Zeldin, many people think, will pull this out, the upset of the season. Zeldin against Hochul, 7 o'clock at Pace University. Admiral James Chavitis joins us right now. One issue that's popping up on every single debate, governor and senator, is what is going on in Ukraine. Admiral, you're all over this.
7: Indeed. And I'll tell you, the latest is a kind of disquieting thing that happened uh, just uh, two days ago, Brian. It's the Russian minister of defense reaching out to his counterparts in U.S., United Kingdom, France, other NATO allies in order to warn us that the Ukrainians might use a nuclear dirty bomb. Um, This is a classic case of Russian disinformation, and what you can take away from it is that uh, Putin continues to be desperate. He is at least entertaining the idea of using radioactive weapons and perhaps is going to try a false flag operation, perhaps use a dirty bomb and then blame it on the Ukrainians. Seems like he's setting the groundwork for that. It so does.
3: In it, fact, here is the Ukrainian defense minister with Trey yinkst on this, Cut 34.
11: It's absurd and absolutely fake. It's a next uh, stage of Russia information campaign against the civilized world. And also they trying to organize the next kind of pretext for using by their side, some kind of uh, nuclear threats
3: so obviously he wants to get ahead of what they're trying to do is do a false flag operation on the ground it looks like Kherson will be contested do you think the russians are going to give it up even though they're evacuating the old government their government they, the puppet government they put in place are they going to look to fight there at all i
7: think they will leave a rear guard operation to try and Uh, put in some hits on the Ukrainians, but the fact that they're pulling their puppet regime out and exporting them back to Russia itself tells you they know the city's going to fall to the Ukrainians. Brian, that's going to be a big moment in the war. That's uh, the, the first major city, the only real major city that the Russians were able to take and here's a punchline. It controls the water supplies down to Crimea. So it puts that Russian occupation at risk as well. Very big deal. That's what you want to watch over the next few
5: days, the next week or so.
3: The Ukrainian uh, defense minister also had a request. Cut 35.
5: The types of threats against Ukraine are changing. We have seen now Iranian-made weapons on the battlefield. What do you need in order to stop these drones from targeting Ukrainian cities.
11: The priority number one for Ukraine, it's air defense systems with the different types, short uh, range, middle range, and long range.
5: There are reports that Iran has military personnel in Crimea.
3: Yes, it's true. So that fact, they need missile defense number one. Number two, Iran's all over this. What do you do, Admiral?
7: Uh, Well, first and foremost, um, I I spent much of my career doing air defense um, at sea on the Aegis uh, destroyers and cruisers I commanded. I know this part of the business really well. And the minister makes a terrific point, which is it's defense in depth. It's setting up layers. So what the Ukrainians need, and we ought to be providing to them, are longer-range air defense systems, as well as the kind of medium Um, Iron Dome that you and I both understand, uh, developed jointly by the U.S. and Israel. And then for close in, Brian, surprisingly, you can shoot down these Iranian drones with accurate ground fire, kind of AK-47 on steroids that's queued in to look for vectors. So we need to help them develop that defense in depth concept. As far as the Iranians go, Uh, A, again, a sign of desperation by Russia. I mean, think about this for a minute. The Russian massive military machine has to turn to uh, a second-rate military power like Iran for help. But also, it ties Iran completely into the war crimes of Vladimir Putin. The same indictments that are going to go out against Russia will now be Prepared against the Iranians as well. But,
3: Admiral, they don't care. Uh, and they what, don't. They're, what they're trying to say is you are folly for trying to cut a nuclear deal with us. We are yeah. against you in every way, shape, or form. And for them to do this, to put people on the battlefield, they say they think they're in Belarus as well as Crimea <laughs> and literally yep. might even be fighting. And I, there's a way to describe uh, the civilian way to describe it. They're slow-moving uh, kamikaze drones that make a lot of noise. So they say it's very stressful and they've knocked down a lot of them. But that's what they're using now to try to destabilize Ukraine and terrorize their population. I'm pretty sure people should understand the Ukrainians do not intimidate easily.
7: Uh, No, I think at this point, if we know anything about the national character of Ukraine, it's that these are tough people and they are taking our assistance, but they're the ones going to the firing line, the ones who stand and defeat the Russians. And now they're taking on the Ukrainians. I have nothing but respect for uh, the Ukrainian mission against these two pariah states, Russia and Iran.
3: So that just shows you the folly. And Admiral, just for our audience, you live this. It's not in our best interest to alienate Iran and Saudi Arabia by reengaging Saudi Arabia as alienated by reengaging with Iran on nuclear talks we're alienating Israel and we're alienating Saudi Arabia and then to go ahead and try to and try to isolate Saudi Arabia at the same time try to make overtures to Iran while they're working against us every way time they can. It's just not smart diplomacy
7: it 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 is not, and frankly. Um, I think there's a widespread recognition across the entire political spectrum at this point that the uh, Iranian nuclear deal, you're old enough to remember this reference, is like Weekend at Bernie's. They're just dragging a corpse around at this point. So drop it. Let's focus on getting our relationship with Saudi Arabia rebuilt, bringing them closer to Israel, build on the Abraham Accords, and use all of that to create a real coalition in the Middle East to contain Iran and, if necessary, to decrement by force their nuclear program, which they will almost undoubtedly return to constructing uh, in the months and certainly the
3: years ahead. So uh, Vladimir Putin went out and met with his new conscripts. We know that hundreds of thousands (laughs) of young uh, young Russians have left the country rather than be drafted. There's no men on the streets of Moscow, no joke, according to multiple reports, because they know they're going to be grabbed right off the streets. Uh, yep. The Wagner Group is one of the potent fighting forces, a mercenary unit affiliated and probably financed by Vladimir Putin. He loved Wagner, the composer. Now, I cannot pronounce his last name effectively, but I'll try it. Pragazin, uh, yep. he's there, uh, the the main financer of the Wagner Group, and seems to be almost a co-leader of the military effort. Could he be a threat to Vladimir Putin?
7: Um, Putin will be very aware of that contingency, and like any corrupt dictator, Putin is manipulating those closest to him to make sure no obvious successor emerges. You know, there's that old saying that A's hire A's. In other words, good people surround themselves with good people. Uh, B's hire C's or D's. Putin has collected a group around him. No one in that group looks like an individual successor. That contributes to his sense of stability in his position. Bottom line here, Brian: um, the Wagner group can score a few hits, but overall, the momentum of this war is going badly against Russia.
3: So, Chechens who seem to be all bluster—they're great fighters. Evidently, they're great at fighting empty buildings, uh, and they <laughs> and they just keep uh, their commanders keep getting promotions. But so far, we have an opportunity to see the Russian army. Do you believe the Pentagon's going to school on this?
7: Oh, Brian, the the whole U.S. intelligence community has focused its assets, its satellites, its human intelligence, its intercepts, everything, watching this. And I'll tell you who else is watching this and is not particularly pleased is thousands of miles away in Beijing, newly anointed leader of China, Xi, is watching this debacle unfold. And he's got to be asking himself, I wonder if my Chinese generals are as bad as these Russian generals appear to be. That's a pretty legitimate
3: question. Well, let's look talk about how China's consolidated power behind President Xi. We know this. We know that he's getting rid of market principles in his economy, arresting the Jack Ma's of the world who shows up too much innovation and independence. So now that he's taken over, clearly he wants to take over the world. Well what are the what are the uh, what are the headwinds that President Xi will face?
7: He's got significant headwinds, fortunately. Number one is demographics, his society is aging rapidly, there aren't enough young people to support the population. Number two, the country is an environmental disaster. It's gonna to have to be remediated at a cost of trillions of dollars over years. Of abuse. Number three, he's got a potential real estate collapse that would make our Great Recession 0809 look like child's play. And above all, China really doesn't have the network of allies of partners and friends. You know, he's got this broken toy neighbor in Russia. Um, he's trying to draw closer to Iran, but um, he, he doesn't have the, the full suite of tools that the United States has. I'll close with this, though, Brian. We shouldn't underestimate China. They are enormously ambitious as a nation, and President Xi himself is personally very ambitious and has cemented a total lock on power.
3: Yeah, you know, the thing is that rotation, that those market principles, the rotation of their leadership was working for them. And why this guy feels though he can consolidate and be effective, it's going to be one-man rule. But they do have a huge Navy, 373 ships right now. We know they're building at a dizzying rate. I don't know what their calculus is on their economy, but they're also financing the Belt and Road program. While we also know they have a housing crisis, they have a zero-COVID policy, they got a a 20-something generation that doesn't have jobs. So they're doing this. So as you as a military guy. Uh, Admiral, how do we how do we counter? We, we seem to be withering on our navy and our military, and they seem to be building. We need to build
7: ships. If we do go to war with China, or we need to conduct combat operations, it's going to be initially and principally at sea. It's hard to imagine a land war in Asia as the saying goes. So we need to build the navy and our long range capability in the air force. Exercise that, and the place to watch, Brian, is the South China Sea. Vast body of water that China claims in its entirety as territorial waters. We can't let that stand, Um, and yes, we need to prepare for this conflict. Final thought, we also need the high-tech aspects of this. We need to outpace China in artificial intelligence, quantum computing, machine learning. They are rapidly approaching us, haven't quite caught even with us. But if we can't stay ahead in that zone, we'll never be able to stay ahead in the more conventional ways we talked about a moment ago.
3: How great would it be to have a leader not talk about curriculum, CRT, or not talk about uh, divisive topics and just say what you just said? There's nothing Republican or Democrat about anything you just said. And that is America's challenge. It's not a Republican or Democratic challenge. That's the leader. That's our next leader.
7: I would agree that we need the whole political spectrum to wake up to this strategic challenge coming from China. That is going to be the great challenge of our lifetimes, right. yours and mine. And uh, Ukraine is a tactical challenge, but the strategic challenge is China.
3: Always great. And educational talk to you, Admiral. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Absolutely. When we come back, I'll take your calls. So one I did answer the question, how can I see the Lee Zeldin debate? I will answer that question uh, and the HOKO debate when we return.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Hey, speaking of show, I'm going to go onto the stage December uh, November 11, uh, a number November 12th uh, in Brandon, Mississippi. I hope you can go to BrianKillme. and get tickets. Talk about everything in history, the war in history, winning it, as well as what's going on at Fox around the world. But most importantly, I get to meet you. And then on Sunday, KRMG listeners have been hearing about this. I'll be in town, but instead of just signing at Barnes and Noble, which I love, I'll have it and just make a quick announcement. I stand in a chair and I talk to all of you. I thought, what if I stood on a stage and we took our time for an hour or two? And we're going to do that November 12th. So, BrianKillme.com for that. And especially with WABC uh, uh, listeners, I'll be in Newark, New Jersey at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. A uh, few tickets left. I'll have some Fox All Stars with me. So come out. That'll be streamed. This is all sponsored by Fox Nation as well, so you're going to love it. So Com. Hope to see you all there while tickets remain. Uh, go over to the calls now. Pat, listen to WOKV. Hey, Pat.
12: Hey, how's it going, Brian? How are you doing Good.
3: Today? What's on your mind?
12: Um, well, one thing that I was thinking about is, well, we all know how China has a one-China policy, which most people think that it just encompasses uh, Taiwan. But there are a lot of... Um, Territories which are Russian owned, which were once formerly and have been historically uh, Chinese territories. I
3: know, and they're going to go to take it back. Sounds like Russia.
2: his mouth to your, your ears. ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
1: What Vladimir Putin is hoping for is that uh, he can hold on until winter. And if he can get to winter, then the fighting will die down, um, and he can and and the energy crisis in Ukraine, the energy crisis in Western Europe, um, he's hoping will force the Ukrainians to the negotiating table, which is where he wants to get to because he's he's losing. Um, what the Ukrainians are going to try to do is both in the northeast and in the south, um, try to. Increase the counteroffensive to gain as much territory back as they can before winter. So expect more fighting over the next several months.
3: So that is Mike Morell, former CIA director, uh, talking about what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. Got to get the respect of Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. He conducted a coordinated task force, Pineapple, author of the best-selling book Operation Pineapple Express: The Incredible Story of a Group of Americans Who Undertook One Last Mission and Honored a Promise in Afghanistan. And uh, Scott, we're going to get to. Afghanistan right away. But I did want to get your take on the battle happening right now. Are you surprised Ukraine so effective and what do you think about the possible strategy of Russia?
10: Yeah, I was just listening to that. I, I don't disagree with that. I think there's a couple of things that could possibly be added to that for consideration is, first of all, let's not forget that the Ukrainians have been combat advised by special forces and, and other special operators for years leading up to this event. And you know, one of the things that really we're seeing right now I think is the manifestation of that, Brian, is you're seeing the the results of years and years of by, with and through work. Uh, from other militaries and special operators working with them that 's number one and they 're and they 're and they're performing brilliantly i mean they really are this this whole resistance operating concept is a whole of nation approach from the president all the way down you know to the to the eighty one year old grandmother resisting and it's It is devastating to the Russians as far as the the commentary on the strategy yeah i don 't disagree with any of that. What I would say. Is that the winter is going to be brutal on the Russians as well, particularly with a conscripted force that is sedentary and static, and suffering from the guerrilla warfare attacks that the Ukrainians will will unleash on them in that brutal winter? It's going to decimate their morale and their will to fight.
3: And they don't even know why they're there. And the word they is,
10: they don't even it's... know why they're there. You add you add bitter cold to it. You know, sitting in a in a, in a freezing cold tank or in a trench. We're waiting to be hit. That adds a whole new dimension of suck.
3: So <laughs> thanks, Scott. That's an old military colleges. Lieutenant Colonel uh, Man, so you were able to write me and inform me how bad things are getting in Afghanistan. We left all those people behind. We watched the folly and the tragedy of the evacuation, the death of 13 uh, of our soldiers who were just trying to keep the airport uh, open while we get as many of our allies out. With so many allies on the ground, you still were working with your men in Operation uh, Operation uh, Task Force Pineapple to get yeah. everybody out. What is happening on the ground right now?
10: Yeah, it's funny you say that, Brian. I'm down here in Florida right now. We have a, a conference called Moral Compass, and it's a it's a group of volunteer organizations like Pineapple, uh, Sacred Thomas, Dunkirk, others, and 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 what we're what we're talking about. Um, is the moral injury that our veterans are going through right now as we approach Veterans Day. Like, it's really significant, you know, the the moral injury, uh, the the injury on the soul that these veterans have incurred. And the reason that that it's so significant is because, in many ways, they see what's happening in Afghanistan. They saw what happened on 9-11, and it's lining up again. And for veterans who fought and bled— after 9-11 to keep our country safe and to build a partner force and to see that force abandoned. And now you have al-Qaeda reconstituting in Afghan National Army bases in Helmand and Kandahar. You have the the son of bin Laden in Afghanistan. I mean, I wonder why he's there. Um, You have reports of the headquarters, Brian, of ISIS moving from Syria to Afghanistan it is it is off the chain what is happening in terms of the reconstitution and the Taliban's not only sanctioning it they're giving id cards and facilitating movement throughout the country so i mean i think it in many ways and the people that i'm talking to to include afghan special operators it is worse than the pre 9/11 conditions that we saw emanating from that country when we were struck
3: how 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 um, certain are your sources well, let's put it this
10: way. You know, and there there you know I, there's a time when um when I heard this kind of reporting I would be, you know, I'd be very very careful about it. But these are the same networks. Like I'm sitting in the room right now with these volunteer organizations, Brian, that were the very ones that jumped into the fray when our institutional leaders didn't answer the phone and they're talking to I'm talking to uh two-star and three-star Afghan special operations generals who have thousands of Afghan Special Forces, Afghan Commandos, still in country, and there, you know, like General Alizai told me, and this was another one that I, I figured you'd be interested in, your listeners would be interested in. There are multiple reports right now of the Iran- Iranian and Russian embassies uh, co-opting Afghan Commandos who have displaced into Iran, running from the Taliban for for possible fighting in Ukraine, right? And this is coming from General Alazai, like the former, you know, Afghan Special Ops Commander who was the last one, uh, to, to hold Kabul. Right. I mean, and, and, and multiple sources coming out of the, of the Afghan special ops community corroborating this kind of thing. So I'm very confident in it because these volunteer organizations are talking to these men and women every single day. And they have been for a year plus. So they not only is Al
3: Qaeda and ISIS back, but bin Laden's even back. Yes. Um, they bin Laden's, uh, son,
10: uh, I believe it's Abdullah, has been has been spotted operating between Ghazni and Helmand. You also have Zawahiri's son-in-law, right? And, and uh, let's not forget that both of those individuals, you know, one's father and one's father, father-in-law who ran al-Qaeda were both killed by U.S. forces, right? So now let's think about that in terms of retribution and vengeance and the strategical access that they have to sanctuary and strike capability. I mean, is it really hard to put that together? You know, Are we really going to actually wait for the strike or something like that to wake up from this trance? I mean, I think that's why veterans are in many ways so upset about this is because, yes, the abandonment was terrible on a moral level. But when you look at the calculus of what's happening in that safe haven, Brian, when you look at what's at this playground that's actually occurring for violent extremist organizations and there's no antibody, there's no interest in getting in front of it, how does that end here in the West in the U.S.? And for veterans who fought and bled for 20 years to keep that away and to just watch this literally happen again like Groundhog Day, um, it, is, it, it ignites every level of moral injury imaginable.
3: I, I can imagine too. You also mentioned Pakistan. Within the last couple of days, was removed from the gray list of countries who finance terror groups. Why yeah, are they removed?
10: And, well, and that's well, because they don't want to be on it, obviously, and they politic to get off of it. And I just think that the the way the West has has we've gotten tired, maybe Brian, of Afghanistan, and we've gotten tired of the war on terror. But guess what? It, it's it's not tired of us, you know. And the thing that I would encourage people to think about is. I realize that we want to focus on things here at home. I realize that Afghanistan drug on for twenty years, but it wasn't just being over there mindlessly, endlessly deploying. What what was happening was the creation of an antibody to violent extremism, which was the Afghan commandos, the Afghan special forces, and their ability to stand on their own. And we just walked away from that. And then, you know, don't forget that Pakistan was fomenting that instability. They were behind a lot of the Taliban's ability to overthrow the country and now taking them off of, you know, this status where they were at least scrutinized for for funding terrorism. You've now greenlighted them, right, to play the game that they're going to play. So when I look at this at a geopolitical level and the way it's lining up, it is very, very concerning. And no one seems to be, I mean, other than you and a couple other people even looking at it,
3: well, what happens is when it's going to be, it's bad enough the way we left, but the, just because we left, it doesn't mean the terror stopped. And st- in fact, it's reigniting. It just makes the, the error that President Biden pulled off and executed even more egregious to the point where people will die soon. And they're going to go right back to here. And we have to understand that all these generals who threw up their hands instead of throwing down their stars. Uh, right. and, and that would have caused so much political derision. Biden would have been forced to change his mind. But it didn't matter. I'm there to enforce what the president says as long as it's not President Trump. Now, you're going to put out an editorial which details a lot of this, but we discussed this, and we wanted to come forward with it right away. Are we providing aid to the Taliban?
10: Well, I believe that indirectly the, the money that we are Giving them is being used in ways that it's not intended. You know, I mean, even if it is designated as humanitarian aid, Brian, which it is, there is no mechanism by which to ensure that it's getting down to the levels that it needs to get. And I've got several sources on the ground that have told me that the levels of starvation and deprivation in that country are at at epic levels. I mean, things that we haven't seen in recent modern history so the money's definitely not going to that so where is it going and when you consider the fact that we have 22 violent extremist organizations when you consider the fact that isis Maine could actually be relocating to eastern and northern afghanistan that bin laden's son is there and that the russians are actively trying to co-opt commandos in duress to go fight in ukraine i mean it's, how can we it's, not it's, pay it's, attention
3: Scott, man, not pay attention to that. Yeah, well, let's keep in touch and keep our listeners involved. Thank you, Colonel.
2: Now the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Yeah, that's me. I'm going to be taking your calls right around the bend. So I'll be uh, so stay patient, be here. Also get your emails, BrianKillme dot uh, We're waiting for Stuart Varney to come back from commercial. At which time, then we're going to go live and do a simulcast. If you're watching FBN, you'll be joining their audience. If you listen to the radio show, uh, we'll be combining audience for about five minutes. We always do it every week. Always a lot of fun. Um, especially does does Stuart even know that we have the paperback out today, the, uh, President Freedom Fighter? Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass and the Battle to Save America's Soul. We'll find out shortly.
11: Brian Kilmeade will appear, and it's 10.51, and here's Brian Kilmeade. All right, Brian, let's go with this. Math and reading scores plummet, historic lows. The Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, calls the drop a wake-up call. Watch this, please.
8: Well, look, you know, I'm saying if this is not a wake-up call for us to double down our efforts and improve education, even before it was, uh, before the pandemic, then I don't know what will.
11: Okay, now this comes as 90% of high school students say they were taught critical race theory while in the classroom. So, Brian, students can't do math or read that well, but they know all about the social issues. What's going on here?
3: Well, I mean, parents got to stay engaged. uh, People, the kids are lucky enough to have parents that want to be engaged even if you work two jobs, you have to find out what that curriculum is. I want you to open up those books, grab the iPad, whatever your kid is using, and find out what they're learning. And then sound off. We saw a lot of these school boards flip. Now, number two, what Cardona was saying is right. But don't just tell me generally. He said use some of the rescue fund, the fund, the $1.9 trillion that we didn't need. He put it all to the states. Evidently, on average, they've only spent 15% Santa. of that money. So it was one hundred and
11: twenty two billion dollars put out there. Right. One hundred
3: and twenty two billion. That's it's a lot of plexiglass. Uh, so, I mean, that, we're just to keep kids away and keep them out of schools. So what we need to do, Stuart, spell it out. We need they need extra help. Kids don't want to hear this, but they probably understand it. They're going to have to have another hour of school for the most part. Uh, we have to have money put aside that kids can get some certificates to go cash in at local learning centers to get that tutor. You got to prove that you've been to uh, four hours extra of tutor ability uh, of tutor uh, tutoring uh, a week or whatever it is per month. And there's got to be a massive effort of accountability and a push to get kids to make up for what they don't, what they have lost, and try to choke up and incentivize these states compete Great. state to state. We know that Governor DeSantis had no problem pointing out that his fourth graders are third and fourth in reading and math and moved ahead of New York. has a lot to do with the fact that their kids were only shut out of school for about two weeks. Right. and Let's have some school
11: choice involved here. Why not? I mean, the public schools have wrecked public school education. Let the private sector come on in. Let the voucher systems work, for heaven's sake. I've got to move on, though, Brian. Listen to this. John Fetterman, Dr. Oz, set to debate tonight in Pennsylvania. Seems that John Fetterman's campaign is already lowering expectations.
3: What, do you, what are they saying? Yeah, I mean, they have long statement saying, basically, listen, Dr. Oz has got a syndicated show. He's very eloquent. My, my guy got a stroke. You know, he's just now being able to pick up of being able to understand words and put them into formations. And now we're going to have long pauses as it's translated on some Google app into what Dr. Oz says with the moderator relays. It's going to go to Fetterman. He's going to have to read it. He's going to have to process it and then answer it. Over the course of an hour, he would not extend the debate. We're probably going to get about five questions. And they're saying he's going to lose. He's going to get trounced. He's going to get torched. But the bottom line is they point out his physical ailments. Stewart, he's not up for the job. We're not talking about a guy that doesn't have an Ivy League education and is not a, and not a heart surgeon like Dr. Oz. We're not talking about a guy that's new to the issues. We're talking about a guy that physically, mentally, cognitively can't do the job, and we're about to see it, and his staff knows it's going to be a disaster. It looks like his wife is going to do everything, and he's going to be there to take a six-seven body back and forth from Washington to Pennsylvania if he gets it. Dr. Oz has consolidated Republican support. He knows the issues inside and out. One of the brightest guys you're ever going to meet with. He's already re- remarkably successful. I look for him to win big, but he's got to make sure he doesn't look like a bully, but he doesn't have that gene in him. He just is okay. not like that. That's just not the way he is. He's got that doctor empathy. Whatever your problem is, I'll solve it. But we can't pretend that Fetterman can do this job because if he can, he has an interesting way of showing it by not talking, holding rallies, or doing interviews. Okay. Now we know how
11: you really feel, Brian, on two right. subjects. Good stuff. See you again real soon. Thank you, Brian. Go get him, Stuart. You're still ahead. one
3: 866 408 Mike, very patient. Listen WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Mike.
11: Hey, Brian.
8: Good to speak with you again. Hey, Brian, I wanted to make you and your audience aware of a couple of things that happened recently in the U.K. First, back in September, Brian, the UK banned the COVID jab for children 11 and under. What did we do? We had a panel that recommends to the CDC, they voted 15 to zero to add the COVID jab to the immunization schedules for children and adults. Second thing, Brian, I heard today that the UK banned puberty, puberty blockers for 14 and under, I'm not sure of the year, but. That's what I think I remember. Anyway, banning sex surgery for children. Joe Biden says, "What did we do?" Joe Biden says banning sex surgery for children is immoral, and says that no state should ban gender affirming care. And yesterday, Brian he met with a tranny in the White House who claims he has been a who he, he claims he has been a woman for over 200 days. Pretty easy to make a decision on whether you want to be a Republican or a Democrat these days, isn't it, Brian?
3: Yeah, I saw the interview, the TikTok star. Who is advising this president? You've turned down the mass media who show up every day and try to deal with a press secretary that's left out of the loop and is not good on her feet. Anything not in a loose leaf she can't understand. And now you have a president of the United States who gives a friendly interview to MSNBC where he falls asleep in the middle of answering a question and then sits down with a transgender TikTok star and goes on to say, Mike that I believe uh, puberty blockers should be available at any age at any time. No no restrictions. Does he even know what he's saying? joke. Hey, go to briankilme.com. You can order President of Freedom Fighter, get a true sense of history, and you have a true great president that lived in that same house that President Biden's in, Abraham Lincoln, how he dealt with Frederick Douglass, and the stresses of dealing with the Civil War. Anytime you think it's bad, pick up this book, you'll understand... We knew what bad was. country was divided in half, killing each other by the tune of hundreds of thousands of people. Don't move.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Have one, Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we are. I'm going to be on outnumbered at the top of the hour. Kind of excited. My paperback's out, uh, The President Freedom Fighter, with new epilogue in it. Talks about the war in history and going after the very statue that Frederick Douglass dedicated was asked to dedicate to Abraham Lincoln. And they took down Frederick Douglass's statue all in the last year since the hardback came out. So I decided to put that into the epilogue. What's behind it and how we got a pushback on the war in history. We should be proud of it, even though it's not perfect. Because I don't know if you've heard, but none of us are perfect. You have to judge people on the times in which they lived. Let's get that through our heads. Uh, One of the big challenges today is the Ukraine war. Kurt Volker, former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, distinguished fellow at the Center for European Policy and Analysis, will be with us shortly. We also know today uh, it's time for Kamala Harris to do what she does best, and that's talk about abortion. Uh, The vice president will meet with uh, Governor Grisham. Uh, uh, and moderate a conversation on protecting reproductive rights. That is the playbook for the Democrats to lose the House and the Senate. I'm sure Republicans are saying, keep it up. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. While we're trying to deal with the challenges, as you all know, you have Republican governors who are using these migrants, using these folks who are trying to flee uh, communism. They're using them as a political pawn.
3: There you go. Uh, That is... Of course, the press secretary talking about what's going on with illegal immigration and the push to get all these illegals out of the border cities and into major cities. So people start start paying attention in Washington. But doubling down, Governor Ducey was told to take down his makeshift shipping container border wall uh, by the Biden bunch. Instead, he extends it. The American people are behind him. But will the federal government prove they are for open borders by actually physically opening up the border? Number two, the
0: uh, no cash mail has created a real problem. Judges don't have the ability to make a determination on an individual's dangerousness. So that is a big problem.
3: i uh, Ray Kelly weighing in. Crime in the mind of Americans of all parties. Will Dems begin to pivot from the abortion talk that I just mentioned? January 6th talk, which they can't get enough of. The Trump talk, which people want to wait at least to 2024. We're going to look at the task ahead to take back the streets at the same time Democrats save their party.
1: Number
6: one. Ron, you talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand. You think you're going to be running against him. I can see how you might get confused. But you're running for governor. The only worn-out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Crist.
3: There you go. Uh, three debates tonight and the showdown in Florida the last night, as you just heard. We'll preview the stakes in New York, in Pennsylvania, and in Michigan and get the latest uh, look at the polls that are too close to call. One thing that is the theme through almost every... Uh, One thing is going to be a theme through almost uh, every debate and has been so far is uh, finding the war uh, in Ukraine to take on the aggressive Russia who are committing multiple war crimes on a daily basis. With me right now, a big supporter of that war, former U.S. Ambassador to NATO, Kurt Volker. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back.
12: Hey, Brian, thanks for being, nice for being here. Thanks for
3: having me. Hey, we've talked in the past where it looked like Russia was uh, the aggressor they'll get the additional firepower, and we watched millions leave their country in order to stay out of the line of fire. Now millions have come back to the Ukrainian, to Ukraine, even though it's a tough situation, and we're seeing the Ukrainians on the march. How effective have the Iranian kamikaze drones been in changing the texture of the battlefield?
12: Well, what the uh, Uranian drones are doing is they're massing. So they're going to go, you know, dozens and dozens at a time so that maybe 70 or 80 percent of them get shot down but 20 or 30% get through and they are deliberately being used by Russia to target the energy system the electrical grid and the energy system of Ukraine trying to make people cold and put the lights out and they actually have rolling blackouts uh, in Kiev at the moment and other cities in Ukraine so they're not terribly effective they're they're low tech they're slow they can get shot down but the Ukrainians don't have quite enough air defense systems to get all of them. And so they are getting through, and this is this creating a tough situation for the Ukrainians. And I just have to say one more thing. The Ukrainian people are incredibly resilient. They went through a bombing campaign in March when they had no idea how this was going to go, and they stuck with it. And as you said, a lot of people left. A lot of people came back. This time around, they are showing a lot more uh, understanding of how to live through this, how to hunker down, how to take, you know, how to live through blackouts if you're going to have blackouts because they know that ultimately that time is on their side and they're pushing Russia out.
3: The Ukrainian defense minister uh, did an interview with our own Trey Yinkst over in Ukraine. Here's what he say he needs. Cut 35.
5: The types of threats against Ukraine are changing. We have seen now Iranian-made weapons on the battlefield. What do you need in order to stop these drones from targeting Ukrainian cities?
11: The priority number one for Ukraine, it's air defense systems with the different types, short uh, uh, range, uh, middle range, and long
5: range. There are reports that Iran has military personnel in Crimea.
3: Yes, it's true. So the Iranians are there. They're they're in Belarus too, it's rumored. So you need air defense. Uh, Ambassador, I know we promised, I know Germany promised, is it there yet? It's getting there
12: slowly, a couple of U.S. systems, a couple of German systems. And, you know, with the Iranians in there and and attacking civilians, causing this human strife that they are, uh, there should be a wake-up call to Israel. That, you know, Israel's fight against Iran and for its own security, which we support 100 percent and care about, is also a global fight. And we see the Ukrainians now suffering at Iranian hands. Uh, Israel has great air defenses and exactly what the defense minister said, high altitude, mid-altitude, short range. And I think the Israelis could help a lot more with Ukraine in protecting civilians than they're currently doing.
3: I know. I would talk to Benjamin Netanyahu. who says he'll look at changing that policy, but they don't want to alienate Russia because Russia lets them bomb at will the terrorists who are taking root in Syria. So looking out for their own interests, but seeing a, a neighbor invaded, seeing a, an ally invaded uh, should have alarmed them to take the, the right moral action. And you guys are on the side of all free speaking uh, people. So what can you tell me about what's going on behind the scenes? Word is that the Wagner Group is starting to make some political gains, too, as one of the most effective fighting groups. Are they moving in almost as a parallel government? Well, I wouldn't quite put them in government yet. But in terms of the military operation,
12: they've basically concluded that uh, the regular Russian military is failing, and they want to prove that they can do better. And so they have drawn their own lines on the map, different from the lines that Putin has drawn. The head of this group, Prigozhin, has come out publicly and criticized Putin and the leadership of the military for not doing a good enough job. And he is trying to show that he can actually deliver. Uh, Ultimately, I think there's a lot going on in Russia that we don't see. Uh, It's a closed information environment. If you criticize the war from the perspective of this is a bad idea, you get arrested. So the only criticism that's safe is what Progozian is doing, which is criticizing it from the right. You're not fighting hard enough. But I think this is ultimately showing that support for Putin inside Russia is not as strong as it appears on the outside.
3: Well, it's very interesting. So uh, they feel as though they can wear down Russia. Here's what Mike Morrell says, cut 37, he's a former CIA director.
1: Russia is losing on the battlefield, and so they've turned to psychological warfare to try to uh, get the West to uh, shake, shake the West's resolve with regard to supporting Ukraine. So when they claim the Ukrainians are going to use a dirty bomb, what they're really saying to us is we might use a dirty bomb. Hmm, And that's designed to shake that resolve that I talked about. And I don't think it's going to work because it hasn't worked before.
3: Your thoughts?
12: Well, let's let's hope Mike is right that it doesn't work, because he is correct that that is what the Russians are doing. They're trying to get inside our heads and make us hesitate in our support for Ukraine, try to cause them to sue for some kind of peace that would only reward Putin's aggression and give him a victory. Uh, what we need to do is stay steady, keep supporting the Ukrainians, keep letting the Russians lose on the battlefield, and let the Russian military know – that if they resort to this sort of thing, nuclear weapons or a dirty bomb, the consequences will be on them directly, and they don't want that. And I think that causes a rift between the military and Putin himself.
3: So knowing that the winter sets in quick and lasts longer over there, I know that Kyrgyzstan looks like it's going to fall. The Russians might put up a Mm -hmm. little bit of a fight. Uh, There's been other gains uh, to discuss also uh, on that front, too. Uh, besides, on the other side, they say the Ukrainian general staff confirmed that Ukrainian forces have captured—wow, this is a tough word uh, uh <laughs> yeah. Miryaska. Yeah. I'm, I'm butchering that. And,
12: and, yeah, go yeah.
3: Ahead. What's significant
12: about the villages that you're mentioning is that they are in Luhansk province. And that means that of these four territories that Putin claimed to annex, Russia does not control all of the territory in any of them. Uh, So this is all a charade to say that these are being annexed to Russia. And where the Ukrainians are going in and freeing the villages, the people are thrilled to see the Ukrainian forces back.
3: So, I mean, is there a point where you believe that they're going to get all the way to Crimea? I think that
12: they're going to definitely get back to the lines that existed before February. So uh, remember, Russia invaded in 2014. They took Crimea and part of Donbass then. And then these lines were kind of stable for about eight years. They then had a massive advance in February, and now the Ukrainians are pushing them back. I think they'll definitely get back to those February lines. I think they also have the ability to go further. But this is where I think you you have to have – somehow some kind of breaking point in Russia where the Russian people, the Russian elites, the military, the the intelligence services, the state-owned enterprises, they realize that Putin is driving the country over a cliff, and they have to find a way to stop him. So rather than pushing Putin to the point where he might actually use a nuclear weapon, let's hope the Russian people figure this out in advance and say, we got to have some kind of new leadership here,
3: Um, What about the rest of Europe? I saw the protests in France. We know that Germany doesn't seem to be all on board. Uh, I, I know it's tough, so I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you. And I'm wondering when we're going to start giving some rebukes and and dress downs to India for continuing to buy Russian oil.
12: Yeah, I think a lot of countries that started off this conflict looking at the at the West and Russia saying, well, we don't know how this is going to go. You guys pulled out out of Afghanistan and left that a mess. How do we know Putin's not going to be there next year and we're going to have to deal with him? So you can understand where they were at the start of the conflict. But now it's very clear Ukraine is going to succeed and survive as an independent state. Uh, Putinism and Russia are not going to come out of this the way they went into it. Uh, We don't know what it looks like, but we know it's going to be weakened and defeated. And we do have to be, be talking now to some of these countries that have been sitting on the fence and say, look, it's not only Ukraine. It's not only the West. It's your way of life that's on the line as well. So step up.
3: Kevin McCarthy, who could be the next Speaker of the House in two weeks and actually take over end of June, January, said this, cut 36.
0: I think Ukraine is very important. I support making sure that we move forward to defeat Russia in that program. But there should be no blank check on anything. We are $31 trillion in debt.
3: Is that a responsible statement? Well, look, I think it was it
12: was smart on his part to, to not focus on whether we should help Ukraine or not uh, or to question our support. He, he's clearly supporting that. What he's saying is there's no blank check, meaning we have to have transparency. We have to have accountability. We're spending a lot of money. We need to see clearly where it goes, what it's for. Is it effective? That's a perfectly responsible role for Congress. I think the the principle that he's starting from is that we need to support Ukraine. I would contrast that with a letter these progressive uh, Democrats just signed yesterday, which is disgraceful. Um, They are urging Biden to negotiate with Putin directly. Uh, When, of course, we're talking about another country, Ukraine, not the United States, and they're urging um, that there be a ceasefire. Which, if there's a ceasefire in place, this is giving Russia control of 20% of Ukrainian territory. You know, imagine if Russia had taken New England and New York City. Would they be saying that, you know, okay, keep it? Uh, this is disgraceful. Nowhere is there a call for Russia to withdraw, to stop its killing of Ukrainians, to end the war. It's all on Biden and on the West to do something to accommodate Putin. That's just disgraceful.
3: It is. And by the way, you have 30 uh, Democratic congresspeople who are saying that, and they say, not the Ukraine but the US should negotiate with the UK about Ukraine UK Russia about Ukraine is with, with that nuts Russia, about yeah. Ukraine it's yeah. nuts okay take 20% of a country and then we'll just call it quits uh because we're tired yeah, of it no, it's crazy
12: that that is crazy and and of course if we did that the one thing you could be sure of is Putin stays in power and therefore he's he's emboldened to do it again
3: I know. Uh, Ambassador, we're on the same page. Uh, hopefully we uh, get some better and better information about uh, Russia's military being destroyed. They're certainly being exposed as totally inept, underfinanced. And, um, and I guess this is the result of grifting from any money they put into it. Somebody else got it. It's in their pockets. Uh, Ambassador Volker, thank you.
12: Hey, thank you, Brian. Good to be on.
3: Same here. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll take your calls, also go through your emails. Uh, And then at the top of the hour, I'm on Outnumbered. And then don't forget, coming up next after that, actually, I have two blocks of your phone calls. So this is uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
2: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
13: Look, I think one of the things that we're underestimating about this current election is how many different subjects have long tails to them. We saw, for instance, the reporting coming out from uh, the education department today regarding the terrible ramifications of school closures for uh, uh, school children across America in terms of how much they have been set back by the decisions that were made largely at the behest of both Democratic politicians and teachers unions who even, you know, took the additional step of helping rewrite policy within the CDC in a way that I feel like is a complete scandal. I think that when it comes to the crime issue, when it comes to these education issues, uh, the Democratic Party has really been uh, unable to reset the narrative in a way that would allow them to compete in this election.
3: Uh, That is Ben Dominich going over some of the issues that are really balancing in the Republicans way. I'm not saying they're not close in Iowa and they're very close in Ohio uh, because uh, for some reason Grassley's vulnerable. Uh, but other places, they seem to be closing in. I'm talking about Georgia. I'm talking about uh, Arizona. Uh, Wisconsin seems to be secure for now, but close. And then you see Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, a house on fire. Alex, listening on WABC, Mountains View, California. Hey, Alex. And hey, I'm
10: in Brooklyn. Thanks so much for taking the call, Brian. So I don't think that this, the fact that Fetterman had a stroke, is going to affect him in the election because you could be suffering mentally and have a stroke and be incapable of doing a lot of things, but your policies aren't going to change. He's a radical leftist, and that's what the Democrats are seeing. He's not—he's not going to change his policies because he had a stroke, and especially
3: he's since we're in now. this
10: place in this country where we're, where the Democrats think that. The the opposing party, the Republicans, are threats to democracy. They're still going to vote for a Democrat like like Fetterman. And you know, if a Republican would have had a stroke or would have been suffering mentally, I would still vote for the Republican rather than have a Democrat win and having them continue to put this country under the ground and dig a deeper hole than we're in right now.
3: No, I know. Listen, Alex, I think it's two separate issues. I think he's terrible for Pennsylvania. He's uh, he was somebody who was almost like a freak show. But he hates fracking, loves criminals, but then he has this stroke and he goes mute.
2: The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: And Ron, Ron, you talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand. You think you're going to be running against him. I can see how you might get confused. But you're running for governor. You're running for governor. Well, listen, I know that Charlie's interested in talking about 2024 and Joe Biden, but I just want to make things very, very clear. The only worn out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Crist.
3: It it's that's the debate last night, Monday night in Florida. And then there's going to be three debates tonight. Tudor Dixon is going to be trying to uh, gain, gain some on Governor Whitmer. And then you have Lee Zeldin, the congressman from Suffolk County, who's done a remarkable job closing what could it be a 24-point gap and is now neck and neck and maybe slightly ahead of Governor Hochul, and she'll have one debate on Spectrum TV. If people want to get it, I got a call yesterday Say, how do I get it? I'm outside the area. It's absolutely criminal to have to run for a New York governor's spot and to be able to not have a statewide debate. Who's got Spectrum TV? I don't even know what it is. I think it's cable, but they have a stream. I Go to my Twitter feed, just click on it. It's there. I'm going to watch it the best I can. And then on top of that, there will also be a big debate between Fetterman and his closed caption and Dr. Oz. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Fetterman came out and has the most ridiculous, the most uh, embarrassing statement from his staff – saying he's going to do terrible. He's got this long pauses because he doesn't under- If you talk to him, he can't quite understand what you're saying, so it's got to be translated. He can read. He can't understand. feel terrible he's had a stroke. A lot of you can identify with it. Someone in your family goes through it. But you ask yourself, at that point, should they be CEO of a company? Should they be one of 100 senators in our entire country of 300-plus million? And the answer is no. I mean, Dr. Oz is not only right on the issues – He's a, He is the better candidate. And the only reason why Fetterman has not lost his entire lead is because he's lying about what he does. He's against fracking. He pretends like he's not. He's pro-Biden, he, even though he tries not to appear with him. And number three, he's pro-criminal. So this guy is all about uh, emptying out the prisons at a time two years ago. That was cool. Man, 2000, Fetterman, look at all this potential. I knew it was folly. Now we know it is. And now in Philadelphia, you want somebody who's going to be light on crime, not pushing for any type of national criminal crackdown. Fantastic. Uh, in terms of uh, what we can, what happened last night and what can we expect tonight, a lot of people are weighing in on what's going to happen in New York. Lee Zeldin was on with Brett Baer, and here's what Lee Zeldin said about well, what the real issues are in New York. And yet Governor Hochul finds herself talking about abortion all the time and over this past weekend had an emergency press conference about subway crime. Cut 14.
13: We've been going around the state and hearing from New Yorkers about the issues that matter most to them and they keep talking about their breaking point in the state most often referencing rising c- crime and skyrocketing costs and Kathy Hochul has been ignoring these issues. This is what we have been talking about the most and it's created an opportunity for us to be able to connect with not just Republicans but independents and Democrats as well. Uh, we're seeing a surge of support right now. We feel on the ground. There's a lot of momentum.
3: It'll be the upset of the season, of the midterms. There's a lot of them. There's a Republican about to win in Oregon. That's huge. Uh, Tiffany Smiley, if she's able to upset Patty Murray, bigger than huge. Joe O'Day is able to have success in Colorado. That's big. Lee Zeldin becoming the next governor of New York, which has never been more liberal, but is in more need of change. Got all this great potential in New York. Have all these natural things going for it. But has just terrible leadership, that thug in Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, uh, Andrew Giuliani Andrew Giuliani is a great guy. He's going to be working with Zeldin. But in Andrew Cuomo, uh, who is just flat out trying to say he does not understand uh, how, he's dis- how he's embarrassed himself and his family and nobody likes him. But then he destroyed the party. And then in comes Hokel and he's trying to, I think behind the scenes, he's trying to hurt Hokel. Uh, now, Governor Hokel, you would think, would understand that crime is up overall 39%. You would think she'd understand that the uh, subways have never been more dangerous. Uh, the whole smash and grabs just happened two blocks from here on 58th. But instead, she gives her a gratuitous press conference where she says, I know people might be scared, but the numbers say you shouldn't be. Cut 15.
1: I'm not letting... The political theater out there affect what we've done. But when you have some very high-profile, frightening cases all in a short time, despite the statistics that tell you it averages out, I understand fear. We're not saying we're done. We're saying we're laser-focused on this.
3: Don't be a wussy. So you just get through it. Just your friend got thrown in the tracks. You didn't. You see some of this video? Women being beat to hell from these mentally deranged lunatics. Guy getting tossed on the tracks. Well, the numbers aren't there. No, the numbers are there. This is what you need. By according to Bratton as well as Kelly, uh, brilliant police commissioners. You need four thousand in the subway. There's two thousand. Are you not taxing the people of New York enough? In Pennsylvania, Doctor Oz is going to have Fetterman tonight. Extremely limited, as I mentioned earlier, about his stroke. How's he handle it? I mean, as a doctor, you can't go out there and go for the jugular, because you're a doctor. Plus, he's not trained that way. This guy's got empathy and sympathy. Cut 19.
0: I've been in Philadelphia a lot during this campaign. I, I live in, uh, in Philly. I went to school in West Philly, and you actually talked to the people there. What they say is they don't want to be part of a white, woke experiment, a social exactly. experiment where they're left with the consequences. And Fetterman, to your point, said that if he had a magic wand to do anything he wanted to, his goal would be to release murderers from life in prison. Now, Tucker, can you imagine having a magic wand to do anything you want? I mean, you could take care of inflation, although you don't need a magic wand for that. But there's lots of things you could do. But releasing murderers from life in prison without asking uh, the families what they think and oftentimes voting against the other members of the parole board, even other Democrats, is not aligned with the values of Pennsylvanians. Yet that's the position he has taken.
3: He's got to take that tone tonight. I just just say you don't have to tell Dr. Oz that. I mean, you watch him on a show— not everybody is uh, a Rhodes Scholar, and he doesn't talk down to people. He looks to save people, and I, that's the problem. And I've talked to people around him. Dr. I says, you know, I can't really beat up on him. I'm, that's not how I'm trained. I'm trained as a doctor to have empathy and sympathy. But you just got to look at who's better to run the state. Now, Tudor Dixon has come on really strong in Michigan. And Governor Whitmer, everyone thinks she's some superstar who's going to run for president. I think she's vulnerable. And Tudor Dixon is proving that. Extremely confident. Definitely endorsed by Trump. Cut 20.
7: Well, we know that we have a lot of Democrats right now that are looking for higher office, and they believe that that progressive message is what wins. They've seen the squad out there for years that are they're getting more and more attention on social media. But the fact of the matter is that real people don't like the Whitmer-Biden agenda. They do not want to talk about these radical positions on sex and gender in school. They want to bring back a traditional American values they're asking why aren't you sticking up for the family why aren't you taking care of us why aren't you giving us a gas tax holiday huh.
3: uh, and she's asking that and I think it's good and I think they're gonna turn around Whitman's gonna say the whole time January 6th Donald Trump January 6th Donald Trump uh, Donald Trump won Michigan once didn't win it the second time had a lot of controversy there because he thought he did one and was robbed so where do you stand that's gonna be the issue over and over again but I don't think people are paying attention Inflation, economy, the border, and crime. And then if you bring up Donald Trump, they go, what do you even bring up Donald Trump for? It's not even an issue. There's another story that's going to emerge, in the Hispanic vote is the other thing that is leaning to the right. It's going to deliver southern Texas to the Republicans. I think it's going to lock in Florida. Marco Rubio, obviously his family's from Cuba. You know all the story. For the most part, Cubans are great self-starters. We know about their, their entrepreneurs by nature. They, they love the capitalist system. They ran and risked their lives, left family behind in order to experience it. They are firmly in Republicans' court, but others are coming over. I listened to this on, uh, this morning morning coming in the replay of Laura Ingram show. I wanted to share it with you because Marco's in a tough fight with Val Demings to get six more years in that Senate seat, 22.
5: What's happened is that Hispanic voters that for years we've been told they only care about immigration. This is what they care about. This is the only thing they care about. They do care about immigration and primarily what we're seeing is they care about illegal immigration. They care about a border that's out of control. They care about the fentanyl that's coming across the border. In essence, if you look at sort of, and I'm not just calling polling, I'm Anecdotally, I, I live in a Hispanic community surrounded in by, and by, by people in this community that I live here in Miami and in, are increasingly indistinguishable from non-Hispanic working class voters and small business owners. They care about the exact same things. They want schools to teach, not indoctrinate.
3: And they want to be Americans. I really can't wait to get past this election cycle and focus on the fact that, oh, you're Hispanic, you're black, you're Jewish, you're Catholic, you're a man, you're a woman, you're transgender. Can we just be, we used to be much more, once in a while on Columbus Day you become Italian, on St. Patrick's Day you think about, uh, St. Patrick's Day you think about the Irish and there's Jewish holidays, I get it. But for the most part, if we just start messaging that we're all Americans, upon further review, reveal your heritage if you want, that's where I think we should head. I think that makes much more sense. Plus, every generation that you get away from your ancestral homeland, why are we keep on reaching back and talking about all this? Evidently, Governor Ron Ron DeSantis is looking at some staggering numbers. He has the majority of the Hispanic vote. Most of the Hispanic vote is because Cuba's his direction. Uh, DeSantis, they agree with DeSantis on all issues. Puerto Rican back Christ disagree with DeSantis on issues like immigration. Other Hispanics like Colombians, Venezuelans, Mexican-Americans and Central Americans disapprove of DeSantis dissatisfying migrants to Martha Vineyard or evenly split in his overall performance as a governor. It used to be 20 percent, 20 percent Republican approval rating. Man, that has changed. Maybe it'll get the Democrats to enforce the border, I say cynically. Uh, quick word. Today is uh, kind of exciting. The President Freedom Fighter comes out on paperback on Thursday. I'm going to be at Barnes & Noble at 7 o'clock in Bayshore, Long Island. Just just let them know. I have a reservation. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Click on You're Coming. And on Saturday in Rochester, New York, Barnes & Noble, too. Hope to see you there. I'll have uh, various events. Plus, I'm going to go live on stage. It's always the most fun in Brandon, Mississippi on the 12th. as On the 13th, I'm going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. KRMG listeners know that. And on December 2nd, after a couple of weeks off, uh, right before the holidays, going to New Jersey Performing Arts Center, and I'll be able to go on with the Fox All-Stars, uh, talk about different points in history, talk about the news, what of course, the aftermath of the elections. It's always a lot of fun. But you need to make reservations, buy tickets, com. There's also a chance to get signed books, and there are opportunities where you get the book signed with the ticket, which is pretty cool. Most importantly, I get a chance to meet you if you click on the VIP And that's uh, I come there about two hours before it, about a half hour before I take random questions, closed door, no press, just what's on your mind ends up being what's in the conversation. So that's always fun. So if you want to win the war on history, I do it through my books. uh, George Washington, Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers. uh, And of course, Um, And then now, of course, the President Freedom Fighter all have paperbacks with them. And now the paperback officially out with the President Freedom Fighter in the epilogue, the extra stuff I give you, uh, most people give you and I certainly do in the epilogue. I focus on how Douglas and Lincoln went back in the news, taking Lincoln's name off of grammar school, trying to take down a statue that Frederick Douglass dedicated to Lincoln uh, hundreds of years ago. And then you find out they take down Douglas's statue in Rochester, New York. What was behind that and why they, people are messed up today, not understanding people should be judged on the generation in which they live. See you on Outnumbered.
2: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Welcome back, everyone. Right before I head up to Outnumbered, you'll see me on television. If you aren't, get the stream on Fox Nation. Uh, I'll be there at 12 o'clock. I'll work till 1 o'clock, so that'll be great. In the meantime, I realized, I don't know what I was thinking. It's been a couple of days, and I know you need to know more.
2: More to know.
3: More than 7 in 10 Americans suffer from data dread. I've never heard this term before, but a survey of 2,000 adults finds that 29% admit that their brain shuts down when they see or hear the word data. For more than a fifth, it's because they simply aren't interested. And 35% admit they find it boring, uh, despite 59% who actively is trying to avoid dealing with figures and data. 54% believe that in the current economic climate, improving their data skills would put them at an advantage. Why am I reading the word data 20 times when most of America want to hear the word tunes out? That's against my own goals. Next, playing video games may actually boost a child's brain power. Researchers in Vermont, gaming leads to better impulse control and working memory. Uh, Many parents today are concerned about the effects of video games. They say it is crucial that we better understand both the positive and negative impact. It's not all bad. They also show higher anxiety in regions of gray matter associated with attention and memory than peers who never played before. I never played. I think the last thing I played was Breakout or Asteroids. So you Next. go back to the Atari 2600 as Rise. your end game. As far as I know, two Atari comes back, I'm out. <laughs> Next. Researchers in Japan have found the female dogs judge people after watching them make an error to act or an incompetent manner. Great. I just got a female dog. See. First one I ever got. Uh, meanwhile, I had no idea the, the puppy was judging me. Well, the team examined both male and female dogs. They reacted to watching people either acting competently or competently. Results show females stare longer and approach humans to appear competent while opening a container of food. All so,
5: right. So now how does the new dog uh, treat
3: you? Is the dog my, always my running I up to you? Like a genius. Okay. Uh, like the genius I know I am. <laughs> I am so much smarter than my dog. And who is studying dogs to find out what they think about adult, uh, humans? Yeah, it's time to Isn't revol- there another study that could help a little more? Yeah, role reverse. It's yeah. time for you to start judging Can someone, someone cure cancer, please? More than 51% of Americans always or often root for the bad guy or gal when watching a movie. This is conducted in an online poll. More than three-quarters also note that a villain can make or break the picture. Overall, people have... Uh, uh, A quarter of people tend to prefer villains to heroes. Among those pro evil people, Gen Z respondents uh, and uh, villain uh, and Gen Z respondents are also most completely likely to prefer villains turned heroes over the polar opposite. I'm not sure what that study has done for my life. So,
5: when you watch a movie, what characters intrigue you more, the villain or the hero?
3: Don't watch movies. I like documentaries. And then I, I picked my own villain. Let's
5: break it down in the Rocky movies. You right. became a Rocky fan because you're, you're for the hero. But I, I ended villain, up like liking Apollo. Lange.
3: I like Apollo. Still don't like Clubber right. Right. Like like Club right. But I am on speaking terms with the real-life Mr. T. He used See, to like me. I'm not sure what he's doing now. Maybe the last time like I that. heard from him, he chopped down all his trees and got his neighbors mad. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Next, McDonald's is going to sell Krispy Katrine donuts on some locations. This is going to benefit no one. Krispy Kreme spiked sales. Their sales spiked by 7%. The donuts include the original glaze, the chocolate iced, and the raspberry filled. The original glaze just proves that you can't improve on glaze. Glaze is glaze. Do not go back. You can improve Crest, you can improve Tide, not glaze.
5: It's just a basic donut with glaze. I never understood what the, the mass appeal about them I They're don't even know. Evidently, what they it
3: melts are. in your mouth and then destroys your heart. Uh, yeah. It takes and, it right and right your around. And your teeth. Yes. Absolutely. Immediately brush. I think you have to brush. I think it's the law. People have been pulled over for not brushing after dating that. Speaking of candy, Halloween candy, according to a recent survey of 2,000 parents and children between the age of 3 and 15, two-thirds of respondents have stolen their kids' candy. Uh, America's favorite candy? Chocolate is not the most popular treat. Look for uh, Halloween. Turns out that most Americans search for nerds. The candy is the most searched for treat over seven states, including California, Missouri, and New Hampshire. What are nerds?
5: They are, I think they're different little flavors. Isn't it good in plenty? No, that's that, that's different. But I can guarantee, I, I bet you I get this right, I bet you never stole candy from your kids because you're not a candy eater.
3: Not a big candy guy. I will but, say this. But what um, about your amazing. wife? Has she, she
5: stolen candy from the kids?
3: I'm not sure. She will not admit it. <laughs> uh, but I will say this. It's amazing how candy just runs out of gas. It's like the Charleston chews were hot for a while. The Clark Bar was hot for a while. Peppermint patties were hot for a while. You have to be like, I'm just tired of doing commercials. We'll just leave it on the shelf. Uh, Twinkies, done, right?
5: You
3: know, they'll that, that, last forever, those Twinkies. Right. Uh, next, the more hours people work each day in a stressful job, the greater their risk of depression. Researchers at the Michigan Medicine found that those working 90 or more hours a week saw changes in depression scores that were three times higher than the change in depression symptoms among those of 40 to 45 hours' work. I don't know. It depends on what you're doing. Uh, you have to find out what those people are doing. If they're working in a tractor, if they're, they're digging holes, make, digging pools, I mean, that might be different. Uh, But if you're in your own business, a lot of times people get exhilarated from their work. You're in a restaurant, you have a big night. It's almost like a high, but I'm not high. See I'm Outnumbered.